welcome to the Simply Fit Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Hassoun. In this podcast, I'll be looking at three key questions related to fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I will break these down into information that is easy to understand and actionable so that you can apply it to your life today. This podcast will give you all you need to improve your health and well-being once and for all. So sit back, listen, and most importantly, take action. Hello team and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. Today I have episode 40 for you all and I am looking forward to getting down to business today. One of the topics on the agenda is one that I've wanted to talk about for a little while now but before we do I have to thank all of you who have recently rated and reviewed the show. I've seen a few more pop up and the feedback fills me with joy so if you haven't already please rate and review the podcast and help us grow more and more and whilst you're at it don't forget to hit the subscribe button either so you don't miss any episodes and I'll be up in the pace in the coming weeks and months. Two times per week will be more regular and maybe even three. So stay tuned for that. And on to today's topics and what we're going to do as always is follow the traditional format of training, nutrition, lifestyle and mindset questions and the latter is where we're going to start today. So Elliot, what is your issue with the all or nothing mindset? And I absolutely had to cover this one as I feel like I've been speaking to people about this all or nothing mindset since you know probably since I was first personal training at the gym I worked in years and years ago probably like seven or eight years ago now in Oxford for example is is the uh, vision that's coming to my mind so the conversations were certainly more frequent when I moved to London that being said and what I found was due to the fast-paced go-go world that we now live in especially in those bigger cities so many people would claim that they had an all-or-nothing mindset when it came to their work when it came to their health and fitness etc so I would converse with a new client for the first time in about yeah you know five or ten minutes in I would usually say something like it sounds like you have quite a you know all or nothing nature about you and they would look at me like yeah you hit the nail on the head and don't get me wrong I'm an observant person but it wasn't my observational nature that was the telltale here it was simply that around 90% of the people I would speak to would be saying the same things you know like I'm great with my diet from Monday to Friday and then I just blow out on the weekends I'm so good at getting my training completed when I'm working but when I'm not I'm just super, super lazy. I'm able to commit 110% in like these six to 12 week bursts towards a holiday, a wedding, occasion, etc. But after that, I go back to my old ways. It was the same story every single time. And in the early stages, I actually didn't see this as a problem in you know the early stages of my career, that is, especially back in the day when my focus was getting people in shape and not necessarily real, really focusing on keeping them there. And as you guys know now, my priorities have shift. But when I was working in transformation studios, the clients would sign up for six to 12 weeks and that was it. My job was to get them in the best shape possible. So I was like, cool, let's utilize that all nature of your all or nothing mentality for this time frame that we have together. And I'm going to give you some guidance beyond the six to 12 weeks. But if you're leaving the gym and, you know, I'm just your personal trainer, I'm not your online coach, so we're not going to really be in contact anymore, then, you know, there's not really much we can do post diet. My job is to get you in shape with the time frame that we have. So over time, this actually didn't sit well with me, which is why I find myself where I am today. I grew tired of the six to 12 week conveyor belt type of transformations. And now, as you guys know, my coaching service heavily focuses on not only getting people in shape, but the sustainability aspect post diet. 
there. Like we still put in the work to get next level results, but whoever signs up with us is fully aware that it's my intention to work with them beyond them hitting their goal to create sustainability. So my mindset has changed here. And this is why I said quite strongly in the last podcast or a couple of podcasts ago that I think the all or nothing mindset and the approach is nonsensical and illogical. If you have been, or you believe that you're an all or nothing person, just give me five minutes, hear me out here and just try and come with a bit of a neutral perspective an open mind and see what you take away from this. So I have to start here, to be honest, you are only an all or nothing person because you've decided to be one. And I'm going to repeat that. You are only an all or nothing person because you decided to be one. All or nothing is not in your DNA. It was not genetically inherited. You adopted this approach. You adopted this mindset. So if you're arguing that it's just who you are, that's not the case. It's just, it's who you decided to be and you can decide to be whatever you want to be. We are incredibly malleable and not completely malleable, unfortunately. And due to the wonderful thing called neuroplasticity, we have the ability to change for the better if we choose to do so. I found a great definition on neuroplasticity. I'm trying to get the pronunciation right here, quite commonly known as brain plasticity that I want to read to you guys, which I think will help you with your understanding. So neuroplasticity is the ability of the brain to adapt to changes in an individual's environment by forming new neural connections over time. Neuroplasticity is sometimes referred to as brain plasticity, which basically means aspects of our brain are plastic, meaning that they're adaptive. They can be altered in response to our environmental and or structural changes. Neuroplasticity explains how human brain is able to adapt, master new skills, store memories and information, and even recover after a traumatic brain injury. Pretty impressive, right? And if you want to have some fun, try and say the word plasticity five times as fast as you can. But I digress. Long story short, you are now you are not stuck with any personality trait that you have. You can teach your brain to rewire in a way that will serve you. And you know, it comes into the whole growth mindset aspect side of things as well. But there is science back behind this. So there's the growth mindset, which is the common practice and what we know now, but there's actual neuroplasticity that we can utilize that actually suggests that there is science to back this up and that it's a proven fact. So now that we've recognized this, now you know you're not stuck with your all or nothing mentality, I want to go through why it's not serving you specifically on your health and fitness journey. So I'll start with the most compelling reason, which is when you're not all, you're nothing. When you're not all, you are nothing. I really don't think I need to dive deep into this one. Like when you're on point, this is fantastic. And like I said earlier, this is where I used to leverage it with the people I worked with in the short timeframes. But when you go off track, the damage that can be done with a nothing mentality can be way more impactful than when you're hundred percent on point. And this creates the typical yo-yo nature that most of us are aware of and probably have experienced in some point in our lives. The highs are high, but because the lows are so low, there's no mid ground. So we only see being in shape as a possibility as when we're strict, when we're disciplined and when it's difficult. And this is exactly the reason why we can't sustain our results. Like who wants to be strict, disciplined and find their day to day always difficult? I know that I don't want to, which leads me on to my second reason quite nicely. So there is no room for sustainability. I don't care how perfect you are. We all have bad days and perfectionism actually falls into a very similar category of being relatively illogical too. And this one, I was was actually a victim to for years. So any of you recovering perfectionists out there, I can definitely resonate and um, my compassion and empathy goes out to you right now. So I recently read something that really, really did resonate with me. And it was from Tiago Forte who tweeted, 
A paradoxical thing about people who consistently choose the most high leverage activity is their efforts have a rough edged half-assed quality because polishing things to perfection is a low leverage activity. I'd never considered this before, but it's true. When you're perfecting something, it's those tweaks, it's those small corrections, which is actually like, if you actually look closely at them, they're easy right? We can claim we're perfecting something, but we're most likely in fear that what we've done isn't good enough, or we don't want to take on something that's actually really challenging for potentially the same reason of fear or not being good enough or the fear of failure, etc. You can't be judged if you're always in perfecting mode, right? And if you don't put your work out there into the world, no one can say anything about it. So that is definitely something to sit and think about after you finish this podcast. But on to, back onto the topic, which is you won't be perfect on this health and fitness journey. It is doable, but it's difficult. And therefore, if you try to go all in with this like 100% mentality, you put yourself in a pretty precarious and fragile position. Let's say you get unwell. Let's say your gym has a random closure. Let's say you have a family emergency. If you're operating with a mindset that's in favor of trying to be 100% as much as possible, but you're actually okay with being 70 to 80% from time to time if something comes up, you have a far, far higher chance of success. Whereas if you're trying to do 100% and those things come up, you're just going to be thrown off track so, so frequently, which leads me on to my last point. Damn, it's like I planned these smooth transitions, right? <laughs> Long-term success. Everyone wants wants to maintain their results long-term. I don't think anyone would argue that this is not true. And the reason why most of us don't is because we haven't found an approach which is sustainable. It's really as simple as that. Like I speak to a lot of people about their prior experience and most of the time with their health and fitness journeys, the reason they're in the position that they are right now is simply because they hadn't found an approach that worked for them long-term. No one wants to put in six, 12 weeks or even months of work and then be back to where they started or regress further in a matter of months and years. But the reason that most of us do is because we haven't found a route that's sustainable. And as I've alluded to, being all in, 100%, all or nothing, is not sustainable for the long term. It's just not when it comes to the health and fitness journey. So that's where I'm going to conclude on my points. And now I want to shift on how we can kind of eradicate this and what could be more productive. So firstly, stop telling yourself you're an all or nothing person and remember that you decided that and you have the power to change this. Simply say, I used to do that. That was the old version of me. What I don't want people to mistake in here either is that you can still have high expectations of yourself and I still want you to strive to be 100%. You should 100% absolutely still do that. However, if you can't reach those heights, it's all about being okay with a slightly suboptimal day. It doesn't mean you failed. It simply means that you learn why you weren't able to hit the heights you wanted to and you just try again the next day. It's as simple as that. And I also want to expand on that last point. Like you learn from the days that you weren't able to. Like sometimes it is just down to the day throwing a bunch of curveballs at you that you didn't anticipate. It also might be that you, you weren't quite as prepared as you could have been. And you can really introspect and you may not be able to hit 100%, but you're far more likely to be able to hit it if you learn from those errors and don't just say, oh, you know, just it happened and now I'm going to go off track. If you're like, well, actually, let me try and get back to this 100%. An 80% day is what it is. Let me try and get 100%. Let me learn from this and we can move forward. And then finally, don't create an environment that calls for something unsustainable or calls on that all or nothing mentality. For example, if you've got a holiday coming up in like four to six weeks, don't slash your calories in half and do cardio every single day. Like you can go for a slightly more aggressive pace, don't get me wrong, 
But if you do something that's unsustainable and calls for that slightly extreme mindset, you're just continuing to embed the all or nothing mentality. So I hope that helps and I hope you guys can see my stance on this and it will lead you to reassess if you are operating like this. All right, on to the next, which is our nutrition question and one that's quite close to my heart. Elliot, how much caffeine is too much? And I think I mentioned my relationship with caffeine in the sleep episode or even the episode where we discussed supplements and pre-work out. But long story short, I used to have a lot of caffeine. I would regularly use pre-workout supplements, which are packed full of caffeine. I've been a coffee drinker since my early teens. I would even supplement with caffeine pills from time to time. And I would also have quite a lot of uh, monster and relentless energy drinks back in the day. I don't really touch those anymore, but they used to be a pretty bad habit of mine. So my caffeine consumption would easily be in the range of like 600 to 700 milligrams on some days, if not a little bit more which sounds like a lot, but it added up quite easily. Like let's take, for example, the average cup of coffee may come in at like 120 milligrams of caffeine, for example. And I think most coffee drinkers are usually having between one and three a day. I would say I was easily having three back in those days. So 360 milligrams is already totted up just by caffeine, uh, coffee, sorry. Then I'd usually have either a monster energy drink, as I just mentioned, or a pre-workout. And I used to take like the grenade 50 caliber one, if any of you guys are familiar with that, quite a fair bit and I just looked at the caffeine content per serving and it's pretty huge. It's 275 milligrams. So this plus coffee takes me into the region of 650 milligrams and I would usually like not just do one single scoop. I would heat that scoop so it was probably closer to 350s if you're completely honest. So I have no idea how I used to sleep all those years ago but as the years went on I learned more about the half-life of caffeine for example. I also learned about caffeine's impact on anxiety and all those type of things and I just decided I wanted to reduce my intake. So I started by stopping the pre-workouts because of, I also didn't want to feel like I had to rely on pre-workouts in order to have a good workout. That was really important for me to stop. Um, so I actually stopped the ones with stimulants in initially. Like I'd separately purchase the ingredients that would help increase my blood flow, etc. but leave out the caffeine. And I'd only consume co coffee before 2 p.m. And then on the odd occasion I would want one after, it became decaf. And since then I've probably gone through phases of too much caffeinated coffee, to be completely honest. But, but these days I usually have about two or three and for the most part it's all prior to 1 p.m. So it's easy to see how your caffeine consumption can add up and you may be listening and realizing that you literally rely on caffeine or coffee mainly to get you through your day. And it's not a surprise either. Coffee is one of the most traded commodities out there and I don't think enough of us question, you know, the impact it's actually having on us and how much is too much, for example, where this question comes from. So with that being said, let's dive into it. And the answer, as always, I hate to break it to you guys, is never black and white. But there are certain parameters that you can work within and I am going to give you some actionable advice to take away. So the first thing to recognize here is that everyone is different when it comes to the way that they metabolize coffee. Very similar to alcohol in the sense that some people will be able to drink a fair amount and be largely unaffected, whereas others will have one or two drinks and they're already feeling very tipsy and be wobbling all over the place. So there have been studies done where they will literally take a random group of people and monitor their reactions to the same cup of coffee, same amount of caffeine, and the responses will very largely and realistically it's just going to come down to genetics and I'd also potentially say the existing caffeine, their existing caffeine consumption. So some people will be fast metabolizers of caffeine meaning the impacts will be short-lived, they could quite easily get away with drinking multiple cups, 
Others will be slower metabolizers of caffeine and it will remain in their system for longer and therefore they will feel the effects for longer and they might be more considerable uh, than our fast metabolizers of caffeine. So the important thing to recognize here is where you sit on that scale. Are you highly sensitive to caffeine, moderate, or the, on the low scale of sensitivity? And the way that I would determine this, I mean, most of us will already know. Let's just start by saying that most of us will know whether we have an impact with caffeine, but I'm going to go through it just for those who might not be aware. So if you're experiencing jitteriness, increased alertness, accelerated heart rate, nausea potentially, and compromised sleep and anything along those lines, and just after a small amount of caffeine, maybe a coffee or one or two coffees, then there's a good chance that you are highly sensitive to caffeine. Someone who's moderate on the other hand would potentially have like one or three coffees per day, experience a small amount of those you know, potential symptoms that we had above, but nothing that's too long lasting. And hopefully they won't have uh, impacted sleep for the most part, as long as they keep to their caffeine curfew. If you're on the low sensitivity, you may have one to three cups per day or you know that amount of caffeine and not experience any of the above at all. And you may be able to tolerate even more with little to no impact. However, even if you are low sensitivity, according to a study I found on PubMed, they concluded that the average adult can safely consume 400 milligrams per day. So even if you are of low sensitivity, it would be worth bearing this in mind so you're not drinking five five, six, seven cups and going way beyond that amount. It seems as if for those who are pregnant or breastfeeding, 200 milligrams of caffeine per day is said to be safe. I would definitely not go above this and consider having less or none at all if you are quite sensitive to caffeine. And finally, if you're an adolescent, you may want to consider avoiding caffeine entirely. Although it really does come down to personal preference here. As I was talking to my barber, who I believe is either Colombian or Peruvian now, it slips my mind, but Colombian would definitely make more sense. And he mentioned to me that where he grew up, coffee was not considered an adult drink. It was just very normal for kids to drink coffee. It wasn't about the caffeine. It was more of a ritual. So there are cultural differences to consider here. And I definitely relate to this too. I'd say my first coffee of the day, like I do appreciate the slight lift it gives me, but for the remainder, I simply like the art of drinking coffee. I like to sit in coffee shops. I love the flavor. I like drinking, you know, I like trying different beans and roasters, but it is worth considering the implications too, which caffeine in abundance have. And it's funny that I mentioned this actually because I'm currently in Istanbul where I've had a bit of a culture shock from coming from Dubai, which has been a very, very welcomed one as well. And what you'll see is if you're out and about in the evening, it's like 9, 10 p.m., there will be people sat drinking coffee with their cigarette in one hand, their Turkish coffee in another hand, and they're not drinking it for the caffeine. They're drinking it to be social with their friends. They're drinking it as potentially an alternative to alcohol, just a, a ritualistic thing, which I I see the beauty in. Uh, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm like, how are you guys sleeping at night? But I think that there is a lot of beauty to that. And we also have to bear in mind there are cultural differences out there. And I have more to mention on that topic as well in just the sense of like the aspect of socializing. The older generation here seems to be so much more uh, embedded within the community. They're, they're interacting, they're talking, they're doing things. And I think that definitely says a lot about, you know, their ability to maintain their health long-term. So maybe they're counteracting the cigarettes and the late caffeine consumption by all the socializing and, uh, you know, them keeping themselves young in their older age. But I digress. Let's get on to the summary points to take away from here. 400 milligrams per day of caffeine is largely considered as a safe amount to consume. Second here, I and mean, this is probably the first actually, assess your own caffeine tolerance. You'll know whether you're highly sensitive or not, just like with alcohol. 
Next is keep a caffeine curfew. I've mentioned the half-life and the quarter-life of coffee before. Like if you can stick it to it all before midday, amazing. But latest I would say is 2 p.m. for most people. Finally, if you want to cut down, do it slowly. And if it's coffee, try switching to decaf. That really helped me. So that is our caffeine and nutrition segment wrapped up for today. And to wrap up that topic, caffeine isn't necessarily a bad thing whatsoever. It can actually be really beneficial and enjoyed as long as it's in moderation. So on to the final segment, which is our training segment today. Elliot, how do I train and do my cardio in the hot weather? So with us being in June now, this is a very appropriate topic. I appreciate that the UK is still temperamental as it always is when it comes to the weather, but there have been some hotter days and there will be more to come too. And if you follow me on Instagram, you would have seen that I put together an article that was recently published in the Metro on how to exercise safely in the sun and the hot weather when the UK were having their heat wave. So this topic is front of mind for me and I'm going to run you through my top five tips to exercising in the hot weather. So the first tip I actually gave in that article was to switch your training time to either earlier in the day or late in the evening. So you guys already know that I prescribe early morning training for most of us. There's a number of benefits. There's less demands on your time. There's less people around. It's done and dusted before the day begins, etc. The benefit we're looking at here in this instance is the fact that it's a lot cooler. This is something I've personally had to work around whilst being in Dubai recently as well. I would usually take my morning walk around 9, 9.30, but around this time of year in Dubai, it's really not unusual for it to be close to 30 degrees at that time of day and you know on the feel like that you see on your weather what is actually feeling like it's usually close to 40 so the heat for a short period of time is manageable but anything longer than a 5-10 minute walk and you're coming back dripping in sweat and ready for another shower even though you just took one an hour ago so to ensure I was getting my steps completed I could try to do the majority of them in the early stages of the day and obviously once the sun went down which is exactly what you you can do if you're unable to handle the heat during the day and I would say that training in the morning is probably a good plan a but if it's not feasible or you're just not an early riser post sunset will be your second best bet it won't be quite as cool but it will certainly be a cooler number two is hydration I would say that these aren't in any particular order, but this one is essential and you really do need to prioritize this, not only for your health, but also for your performance too. And if you haven't heard this study before, I'll allow it to blow your mind. Exercise performance is impaired when an individual is dehydrated by as little as 2% of body weight. Losses in an excess of 5% of body weight can decrease the capacity for work by 30%. 30% guys, that's essentially a third of your work capacity solely through hydration. I'm not okay with losing 1% of an edge, let alone 30. So we're all aware that our body's core temperature rises and we lose bodily fluids through sweat. And in the warmer climates, this is going to be exacerbated and we're going to lose even more fluids than usual. So we need to stay hydrated and you shouldn't just be hydrated during the workouts in the hot weather. You should just be hydrated throughout the day to give yourself the best chance of avoiding dehydration, especially during those workouts. So I would always recommend drinking around 250, 300 mils, at least 30 minutes before your session, a little bit more if you actually sense you're dehydrated. And as I've probably mentioned before, a really good <laughs> visual test of this is just assessing the color of your urine. I know it's a little bit gross, but it will give you a very good indicator. And then continuously sip throughout your workout. And when you finish your workout, continue to hydrate post-workout. Again, 500 mils to a liter after your training is probably a good amount to aim for, especially if you've been sweating a lot. On to the next, which is the third tip, is to reduce your session times and potentially even split them up across the week. 
The longer you're out in the heat, the more chance you have of being impacted by the hot weather. If your workout is typically an hour, three times a week, potentially you can try and break it down to 30 minute sessions and do them five or six times per week. So you're kind of completing the same amount of exercise, but you just reduce your sunlight exposure for the day by 50%. And you could even potentially look at splitting your workouts like 30 minutes in the morning, 30 minutes in the later hours of the day. Like I wouldn't say this is the most optimal approach, but if you have no choice and you really don't want to be training directly in the heat, then that is an option. The fourth tip, which is probably more of a practical one here, is to do the majority of your exercise indoors. You may enjoy outdoor running or training in your garden, but you'll probably have a better chance of controlling the temperature if you opt to train indoors. And I'll give you an example recently when I went for an 8K run in Dubai. And although it was around 6 p.m., it was still incredibly warm and humid. And I felt that for the next few days, I had a headache that just would not shift. And I genuinely believe it came from the loss of fluids and the heat during that, that run. I don't enjoy indoor running at all. I find the treadmill incredibly boring for running, but I'd probably choose to do this again over having that headache and like feeling so drained of energy and those fluids. So either I would utilize tip number three, not for a shorter distance, or I take it indoors. So if you have the opportunity to train indoors, take advantage of the AC and the temperature regulated environment, and then you can just focus on your session as opposed to staying cool. And on to the fifth and final tip, which is dressing appropriately. Light colored clothing, minimal layers, sweat wicking materials will be your best bet here. The heat is already going to be causing discomfort. So the last thing you want to do to add to this is to add uncomfortable clothing. Don't be like me and always wear black and live to regret it. So accessories can be really helpful too. Like think about it, water bottle, your sunglasses, applying sunscreen, etc. all going to be really important, especially if you're outdoors for a while. If you are doing longer endurance work, it's going to be super important to have those things available. And I know some of you are going to be apprehensive about using sunscreen due to all the chemicals, etc. But there are plenty of natural sunscreen brands out there that will provide you with the protection that you need without causing you any harm. So that is my advice on how how's exercise in the hot weather. And if you're in the UK, don't worry too much. As we all know, it's going to be short-lived and you'll be back inside soon enough. So that is everything from me today, guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, you know what to do. Tag me on Instagram, rate the show five stars, drop me a DM and let me know what you thought as well. I'm always looking to hear your guys' feedback. And also if there's anything that you want me to cover specifically, I'm inspired by you guys. You give me all the content. Like when I'm asked, where do these questions come from? They come from you and I appreciate you all. So that is everything from me today, guys. Take care and we'll speak soon. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.